leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. People with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder who use stimulants to treat the condition often face afternoon crashes and require the use of booster doses. Singulate Therapeutics is using its proprietary drug delivery technology to target this $14 billion market with timed release formulations of commonly used ADHD drugs it's developing. We spoke to Shane Schaefer, CEO of Singulate, about ADHD the company's drug delivery technology, and its clinical path forward. Shane, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks, Daniel. We're going to talk about your company, Singulate Therapeutics, ADHD, and how you're seeking to use your drug delivery platform technology to improve treatments. Perhaps we can start with ADHD itself. What is it? How common is it, and how does it manifest itself? Sure, certainly. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for uh, thanks for having me here. Um, so, ADHD is a very significant uh, neurobiological uh, disorder, and uh, quite frankly, it uh, does affect you know, uh, depending on various different uh, you know studies, anywhere from about six to ten percent of uh, children and adolescents, uh, as well as up to six to ten percent of adults. A lot of people think of ADHD as a uh, disorder that people outgrow. And while that can happen sometimes, most likely what that is is just really a, uh, a life selection process where you, uh, you do things that ADHD does not impact your life as, as much as it does in potential childhood when you're in a classroom setting. Um, ADHD has really three key components in terms of its uh, overall uh, effect and diagnosis. There's components of uh, inattentiveness, uh, impulsivity, and then, of course, hyperactivity. Uh, and those three things are pretty apparent uh, for, for both genders as well as for uh, uh, adolescents, children, and adults. Now, however, there are some subtle bit differences uh, in, in the boys versus girls. Uh, girls do uh, less, are less hyperactive uh, than boys in certain instances, and the hyperactivity also dissipates uh, in adulthood. So the, the really impactful part, though, is the fact that people are inattentive and they have uh, they have a lot of potential social impacts as well as, obviously, through education and things like that. Um, so it is a, it's a growing disorder in terms of its diagnosis. I mean, it's not really changing because it is its genetic basis to it, but uh, it, it definitely does impact a lot of uh, people in the United States and around the world. How is it diagnosed today? So the best way for diagnosis to occur uh, definitely is a, uh, a multi-phasic sort of approach where psychiatrists, 
specifically child, adolescent, or adult psychiatrists, um, developmental pediatricians, um, psychologists, definitely. Um, so a very well-trained medical expert in attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And what they do is they use different rating scales uh, and different approaches where they not only talk to the patient, uh, but they also talk to the spouse of that patient if it's an adult or the, the parents or school teachers or coworkers, and uh, using these different rating scales look at a lot of the different attributes of those three components that we mentioned earlier. Uh, it's not something that's diagnosed in one day. Uh, it's something that's, uh, that we look at over time uh, and then at that point physicians would make the uh, decision um, after that extensive evaluation uh, what uh, is the best treatment course for patients. That typically includes uh, non-pharmacological treatment, uh, so education and, uh, and that type of, uh, of training, um, and then oftentimes as well, it will include pharmacological therapy. And in terms of pharmacological therapy, what, what, what options are available today? Sure. So there's really two classes uh, of the drugs that are used to treat ADHD. There's the stimulant class and the non-stimulants. <laughs> pretty uh, pretty uh, sophisticated there, huh? Stimulant, non-stimulant. Um, the stimulants compose of really two categories. You have your methylphenidate class. Think of your Ritalins, your Concertos, your Focalins. And then your amphetamine class. And I think of Vyvanse, Dexedrin, and Adderall. Those two classes encompass greater than 90% of all prescriptions written in the ADHD category. The non-stimulants are um, uh, about 7% of the, of, the, of the classes of therapy. That includes drugs like Stratera, Intunas, Blontocene, uh, Clonidine, but uh, they're definitely more second-line treatment uh, for, for, for ADHD. And how effective are these in, in treating the condition? The, the stimulant class is tremendously effective, which is really why it's you know over it's about ninety three percent of the overall marketplace. Uh, stimulants have been used uh, to treat ADHD for you know fifty plus years, and uh, you know they've been used very safely, very effectively. There's uh, incredible amounts of data uh, on the safety and effectiveness of these medications. Um, however. Ironically, even after all these years of treatment with these drugs, uh, ideal therapy, which encompasses something that uh, sort of works immediately, uh, lasts the entire active day for these patients, um, which would be their full day sort of from home to homework or from breakfast to dinner for adults, um, and a product that also has a nice smooth descent so they don't have a potential uh, untoward rebound or a crash, um, that drug has not been developed yet in, in our perspective. Let me understand why a stimulant might help someone with ADHD. What, what is happening at the biological level that these stimulants do? Sure, sure. And uh, it's, it really is a, it's a strange name for a drug because you would think someone that is hyperactive, um, giving them a stimulant uh, wouldn't, uh, doesn't, you know, it's sort of counterintuitive, right? Um, the way these drugs work is they have a, uh, uh, the block, they block receptors for dopamine and norepinephrine and serotonin to a lesser extent, uh, they block the reuptake receptors. So what happens in, a, in an individual with ADHD is genetically their brain was coded to have more reuptake um, mechanisms to take those neurotransmitters out of the, out of the, out of the game, so to speak, uh, faster than need be. So what these, these drugs do is they go in there and they basically tell that receptor, hey, calm down for a little bit, let these neurotransmitters stay in the brain a little bit longer, and then we'll move them on their way. 
Um, and, that, and that's basically how they work from a very simplistic perspective. Um, the challenge is, is that it's a very uh, fast uh, timetable. So the drugs don't work and last as long as we'd like them to, to get patients through uh, that entire day to get them the duration they need. So that's why a lot of patients um, for years and years have taken one, two, three, and sometimes four doses throughout the day. Now, there have been a lot of nice advances um, starting in the late 90s where drugs were biphasically designed that would deliver two doses of drug uh, throughout, uh, you know, throughout the day at given time intervals to avoid that short-acting uh, aspect of the medication. How does your drug delivery technology work to, to address both the problem of the uh, initial delivery of the drug but also to, to keep a, a steady supply of the drug actively available in, in a patient system throughout the day? Yeah, sure. Um, so what we, what we did, uh, and you know, I started this company with uh, Drs. Uh, Raul Silva, Dr. Matt Brahms, and uh, they're two of the sort of leading opinion leaders in ADHD, and um, we really were looking at trying to find a way to deliver a third dose of drug effectively and uh, do it in a very precise manner that the drugs would be delivered at the right time and the right amount, so the right ratio of drug release uh, throughout the given day. What we, des- what we designed is a drug uh, development platform called Precision Timed Release uh, Drug Delivery Technology. And what that allows us to do is deliver the three doses, uh, and we have two assets in development. One of them, uh, the CTX-1301, is a dexamethylphenidate product, so the pure isomer of Ritalin, trade name Focalin, uh, a product I actually worked on back in Novartis uh, when I was when I was much younger. <laughs> um, our second product is dextroamphetamine, again the single isomer, uh, the D isomer of the uh, the Adderall drug, trade name Dextrin. And what the uh, precision time release platform allows us to do is deliver a, a dose of drug immediately. So within five minutes, drug will be in in solution in the body and working its way into the bloodstream, and we have a target effect. What we're hoping to find in our clinical trials is that this drug will be working within 30 minutes, and that's, and that's exactly what we expect will happen. Uh, that's exactly what happens with Focalin uh, when, when given uh, immediately. What we, we then have the ability to do within this small tablet, we, uh, we have a partnership with the company, and they have a, a fantastic erosion barrier layer called Orologic. And what Orologic is is sort of a secret sauce that allows us to very precisely time when this next release will occur. So we have a four-hour uh, lag period where absolutely no drug is released into the system. And then after that four hours, the, the PTR delivery system, precision time release, delivers a sustained release now uh, of a second dose of, of, of medication, either the amphetamine or the methylphenidate product, depending on which, uh, which, which one your physician prescribes. And it gives a 90-minute sustained release of that second dose of drug so that patients have two things. Number one, they, the, the drug didn't come down to a level that was uh, not effective, but then they have a nice ascending profile pharmacokinetically where drug is delivered over 90 minutes. It also avoids the big peaks and valleys, which can sometimes be troublesome for patients with ADHD. So that's the second dose. And that's been accomplished in many ways with drugs like Adderall XR, Propylen XR, Concerta, et cetera. But the key here is now we have another orologic barrier that is wrapped around that second dose, and it gives us another four-hour delay where precisely no drug is released, which is how you want it in ADHD, and then what would be hour eight 
from, uh, after ingestion, we deliver a third dose of drug. And we deliver not a full dose, because that would be too much in our opinion, but instead a nice, small, what we call a booster, that's built into this tablet, this small tablet, and that then does two things. It slows down the rate of descent, and hopefully extends the potential efficacy of this drug so that it allows the patient to get full-day efficacy uh, for their ADHD symptoms. How predictable is the release of the drug from patient to patient? We're at this point where we're being trained to think of drug interactions being very personalized for each patient. Is, is that true with delivery technology? Yep. So that's a great question, Dan. And, um, what, one of the things that we, uh, we've we seen with all of the stimulants, uh, which is it's quite replicatable, is a patient can have different blood levels of the same exact drug. So I'm talking the same patient. I could take it. Let's say I have, the, have ADHD and I'm going to take our product or take a competitor product, any of them, five days in a row. And I eat the same exact meal five days in a row. Each of those five days, I will have different blood levels. It's really, there's, it's called the intra-patient variability. So that happens with all the stimulants. What we've done and what we've worked on with the precision time release platform is in vitro, so now we're in test tubes basically, we do see a tremendously precise, very tight correlation every single time of how the drug is timed and released. So we can control it there. And I tell you, once you put it into the human body, um, it, 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 quite frankly, you will see different uh, pharmacokinetic profiles. And that's pharmacokinetics. The actual pharmacodynamics in terms of how the patients respond to treatment, again, pretty much universally across the board for all of the products, not, not just ours, but for all the products. When that product goes into dissolution, you start to see an effect. And so um, that variability doesn't seem to have much of a clinical impact. Um, but again, I can't speak for every patient, but you know, instead for the, you know, for the larger uh, proportions of society, that really doesn't have much of an impact. And it's quite moderate. As you mentioned earlier, you have two candidates in development. What do we know from studies to date? So thus far, we've done a proof of concept study where we wanted to prove the overall philosophy behind our uh, uh, the precision time release platform and the orologic uh, erosion barrier layer. Uh, that study we uh, we conducted with 15 healthy adults. Uh, we used uh, pharmacokinetics to look at the blood levels, and we coupled that with pharmacosintegrity, uh, where we actually radio labeled uh, certain elements of our tablet to see exactly where the drug was being released in the GI system. Uh, that was the results of that trial. We've actually uh, shown now the two sets of, uh, of advisors, and we've also presented it at three uh, large uh, pharmaceutical uh, meetings uh, focusing on pharmaceutical sciences and ADHD. Um, the data has been tremendously well received. It truly did show a, uh, a very fast uptake of the medication in blood levels, showed a nice, smooth, sort of uh, small little uh, pumps in the pharmacokinetics, basically a small up and a small down, followed by the second um, ascending profile uh, for the second dose. And then we found as the drug was declining, as you would expect it to, and one or two later in the evening, it did two things. Number one, the rate of descent changed from, say, a 60-degree angle uh, in terms of the way it was falling to about a 35-degree. And we like to sort of talk about that as trying to land an airplane on an aircraft carrier or landing it on a nice runaway at, uh, you know, let's think of a nice air airport. <laughs> um, I've flown into some tight ones lately. But um, that's sort of the comparison. 
And so basically what we're hoping to see there, and again, this will have to be flushed out in our uh, efficacy trials, we hope to see that that makes a, a nice smoother decline for patients and it translates into hopefully better overall uh, feelings for these patients and, and, and extended efficacy as well. So we should push out. Uh, given that these are well-studied and well-known compounds at the, at the heart of these drugs, is there a faster route to approval? What, what's the clinical path forward? Yeah, exactly. The FDA has been you know, great uh, in terms of you know, working with them, and they obviously understand there's uh, these are approved drugs, and they have a they have a system in place for an accelerated sort of pathway. It's called the 505B2 drug development pathway. Um, what I would say it allows us to stand on the shoulders of giants and then improve their drugs a little bit. And that's exactly what we're doing. Both Folkler and Extra have been around for for dozens of years. They're great great medications, and they've been approved multiple times in different formulations. So this process allows us the ability to, uh, number one, from a time perspective, get these drugs through development in 24 to 36 months versus 8 to 10 years uh, for a new pharmaceutical uh, development project. In addition to that, from a capital perspective, a very nice benefit, which uh, translates into our ability to, uh, to, to price these drugs effectively, we're in a position where this will cost us a fraction of the cost versus the $1.5 to $2 billion it costs to develop a brand new medication. So those two advantages are, are really tremendous, but the thing we like the most is we can improve these products, hopefully create an ideal targeted uh, ADHD agent for these patients, and uh, at the same time get them to market quickly. And how about from an IP perspective, what, what kind of protection do you expect to have on these? So there's a lot of different ways to look at exclusivity. It's one of the ways we kind of like to talk about it. There's the, uh, obviously the Hatch-Waxman gives us about three years uh, of exclusivity, but that's not a tremendous amount, but that's nice, and that's that's guaranteed due to the phase three studies we're doing. Um, in addition to that, uh, the oral logic erosion barrier layer has some fantastic IP around it, um, and that's, that extends uh, uh, well over a, do a dozen years. Um, in addition to that, we filed our own patents, which we're currently in the process of working with the, the Patent and Trademark Office with, uh, that really focus on the unique uh, delivery system that we have, the unique drug ratio we use. We don't give, you know, like a third, a third, a third. We have a much more uh, unique profile uh, because we want to treat the disorder appropriately, as well as the sustained release that we use in the middle allows us some pretty unique uh, uh, innovations that we believe that will hopefully give singular uh, direct patents on these two ADHD products. The third element is some of the trade secrets we have around our manufacturing process. We have some very sophisticated uh, tooling, um, as well as some sophisticated machinery, which allows us to achieve uh, making this, this multi-dose tablet um, uh, very effectively and very efficiently. We believe in the last month we've created, potentially, the first five-layer, three-dose tablet the world has ever seen. And it's a pretty small tab, but we shared it with advisors uh, yesterday here out of the ACAT meeting. They were pretty impressed with uh, what, what they saw. How might pricing compare to traditional formulations of these drugs, and, and how much of a challenge do you see convincing patients, physicians, or payers of the value of what you're offering? Yeah, there's, there's no question that, uh, you know, Building a great drug is, 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 is a nice first start, and it's, that's what you have to do is build a better, uh, good medication. But you have to make sure that these products get reimbursed and that patients have access to them. 
So at Fabio Therapeutics, we take a very serious look at that, and we have a market access team that is uh, already built uh, to, to make sure that we look at, number one, not only just the pricing, you know, oftentimes it comes down to just, you know, what's the least expensive for the payer, and we, we realize that's important, and we want to make sure that we're, 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 we're good citizens and making sure that we price these products effectively. Um, so that's number one. We'll obviously have very competitive pricing, and I think that manufacturing is just some unique, uh, some very unique benefits in terms of uh, the effectiveness we can have in terms of pricing. So we hope to see that pan out as we get closer to commercialization. Uh, but in addition to that, I think uh, the overall efficacy story that we're going to bring and some of the patient reported outcomes as well as some of the uh, pharmacoeconomic impact that we see in terms of patients that need to take a third dose um, that, that, that they just wouldn't have to do with our product. Our product has all three doses built right into that tablet. And what's happening is about 60% of adults and adolescents that have ADHD are actually using what's called booster doses. And I think the impact of that to the managed care system, and not only to that, but to the payers, pardon me, to the patients, um, is really quite impactful. They basically, patients have to wait until they start to feel less than ideal, and then they reach in their pocket and, you know, take a short-acting uh, stimulant product. Um, that's not ideal therapy. That's two prescriptions versus one, uh, two copays in some instances. Um, I think uh, you know, those types of things are things that we're going to need to build a good story around and then build some dollars and cents around it as well to make sure people see the true overall value of our products. But long story short, it's critical <laughs> to make sure we have good, uh, good managed care reimbursement. Shane Schaefer, CEO of Simulate Therapeutics. Shane, thanks so much for your time today. Hey, my pleasure, Daniel. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.